During Jesus' ministry, one of the primary ways he would instruct his disciples was through parables. People would gather from far and wide in order to listen to what Jesus said about the kingdom of God. And the most common way he would explain the kingdom was in parables. In this series, CMC Campus Pastors examined several parables of Jesus, exploring the rich truths they reveal about who Jesus is and what he came to achieve through his life, death, and resurrection. Now join Associate Pastor Paul Kern as he teaches on the parable of the lost sheep the lost coin, and the lost son. When we are in the series of the parables tonight, I want to welcome all of our podcast listeners, and we are going to be looking at the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. So if you want to look in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to kind of break this up a little bit, and I'll be reading different sections of this as we go along. But as we're discussing this, there's one thing that I want you to keep in your mind the entire time that we're talking about what we're talking about tonight, and it's this. If you're seeking God, you can be certain and for sure that He's already seeking you. And I want everybody in here tonight to hear that and to understand that. Because we're going to be talking about some situations tonight that... Um, have to do with heart attitudes and responses in life. Things that happen and people make wrong decisions and they do wrong things and they react to life in the wrong way or certain things happen to them that really was no fault of their own and now there are certain consequences that come into play. But the thing that is important for all of us to see is that God is always pursuing us. Can I have an amen? amen? God is always pursuing us. So let's just start out together. Now I'm going to be reading from, and I got this new translation that I'm on fire about. I love this. Now for some of y'all, you're like, well, I've been reading from that forever, you know, so um, I may be a little behind the times. But I kind of got, you know, I started out, I was doing the New American Standard Updated, the N-A-S-B-U, okay? Yeah. And it's really accurate, and it's really good. Well, you know, then they came out with the NIV, and there was things about that that I liked, but for me, it wasn't quite as accurate as the New American Standard Version updated. And so then they came out with the New Living Translation. How many of y'all read from that? Yeah, wow. And really, a lot of the leadership here reads from the New Living Translation, but I'm going to kind of shift gears on you tonight and I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation. Yeah, and this is what all the younger people are into right now, and so I've, I've been around the interns and some of the CMA young people, and, and this is what they're reading, and now I know why, because this is really good. So that's what we're going to be reading from tonight. So for those of you that are in the New Living Translation, sorry. <laughs> just, just follow along, because I'm going to read it for you. So we're going to start in verse 1. Many dishonest tax collectors... And other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. They raised concerns with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant, they grumbled and complained, saying, Look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes him, welcomes them all to come to him. And so in response to this attitude that they had, Jesus starts talking about 
some different parables. And he starts teaching them some different parables. Now, the Pharisees intended their wording that he welcomes sinners in each with them to be derogatory toward Jesus. Like, that's a really bad thing, Jesus. You're a religious person, and religious people aren't supposed to be hanging around sinners. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. After all, tax collectors were fellow Jews who had sold themselves out to the Romans to collect taxes, and they became rich at the expense of their own people, which is really, really bad. I mean, I'm not saying that that's good. That's bad. That's something that they should not have done. Sinners were irreligious of the day. They didn't follow the teachings of the Pharisees. They didn't follow the law of God. They knew nothing of the law of God. But Jesus was not ashamed that he spent time with sinners, that he spent time with lost people because his ministry, church, was to seek and save the lost. And, you know, I think we have to be very careful after we've been saved for a little while that we don't forget that. It's important that we don't forget that because the fact is, all of us in this room tonight at one point in time in our lives were lost. Come on. Some of us, if you were like me, you were really, really lost. Really lost. And, and honestly, if I had been Jesus, I wouldn't have spent any time with me. I would not have wasted any of my time on me. I would have said, that guy is a lost cause. There's nothing that can be done to help him. He is a really lost person. But thank God Jesus doesn't think that way. And here's why, church. Because Jesus has the heart of his Father. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight as we talk about these parables. We're going to be looking at the Father heart of God. And that's the mindset that I want us to all be thinking about as we look at these parables. Because church, I think honestly, if we all really look at our hearts, we have to deal with the fact that a religious spirit tempts all of us. It's easy for all of us here in this place to have relatives or to have friends or people that we work with or people that we know that aren't living right. And it's easy for us to look down at them because see once God cleans you up and you know you guys here in TC you know you're going through the program and God's changing your life and this is often awesome because you know I had a similar experience coming through our internship here at our church the Applied Life Leaders Academy and 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 God began to do this really big work in my life and and I think it's so much easier when God cleans you up to see the dirt that other people are allowing to be a part of their life you know, it's easy for us to start looking at our mothers and our fathers and our family members, our sisters and our brothers and our cousins and our friends. And if we're not constantly vigilant against a self-righteous spirit, we will look down our nose at lost people. We will say to ourselves, we can't believe they're doing what they're doing. We can't believe they're in the condition that they are in. Or other believers even who have come to our church and have fallen away 
They're no longer walking with the Lord. They're no longer living for God. And we can view them in a condemning manner instead of having the heart of the Father toward them. And that's what I want to focus on tonight. I want to look at some similarities first before we get into these parables. Just some similarities that we're going to see here. Number one, there is an object or a person that is lost. And that's across all three. There is an object or a person that is lost. And this represents our miserable lost condition apart from God. Because we have all been there. Praise God, we're not. Amen? But we have all been there. Number two, all are owned. Even the son would be considered to be owned until he moved out of the house. So all of these objects of the owner, they are owned. Number three, they all remain valuable to the owner in spite of being lost. Mm. They all remain valuable to the owner in spite of being lost. Number four, the owner had other coins, other sheep, other sons, but he never turned away his focus from recovering what was lost you know i've got a few hundred dollar bills in my wallet tonight but if i lost one it would be really important to me that i found the one that i lost it doesn't matter that i have three or four or ten or whatever which i don't have that many i wish i did and anybody that wants to make a donation tonight you can meet with me after church i am receiving those donations yes lord the lord yes you the lord speak yes right back there yes over there Amen. Hallelujah. Shandai. Woo. <laughs> I mean, I can break loose now. I start putting a word on somebody. The Lord giveth. What was I talking about? I got lost. I don't know where I'm at. It doesn't matter if, if I... If I have five or six in my wallet, if, if I lose one, it's important to me that I find it. Amen? It's important to me that I find it. Number five, the focus of the parables is on the love of the owner for the lost objects. You know, I think we often put the focus on the lost objects instead of the love of the owner for the lost objects. These parables are not about the lost objects. They're about the heart attitude of the Father. Can I have an amen? See, that's what it's about. <clears throat> Number six, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son all have this. I'm sorry. Number seven, they describe the owner's tireless desire to bring that which was already theirs back to where it belongs. It's important to God that you are where you belong even if you get lost, even if you trip up, even if you make a mistake, even if you were going good and then you stumbled and, and you got off track, it's important to God that you are back where you belong. And I really want to encourage you tonight. You know, I think lots of times when we come to church and maybe we miss a Sunday or two or, and, and, and we didn't do all that well and we get condemned and we feel really guilty and, and then it's like condemnation comes upon us and, well, I don't really want to go back to church because, you know, people ask me where I've been and they're going to judge me and think all these things about me. And I, I just want to set you free from that tonight. That none of that matters what people think. See, I got, I got set free many, many years ago 
Because it doesn't matter to me what people think. Come on, TC guys. All that matters is what God says about you. It's all that matters. Doesn't matter what your relatives say about you. Doesn't matter what people think about you. It doesn't matter what the guys at TC may think about you. The only thing that matters is what God says about you. And boy, I tell you, church, when God's voice and God's concern becomes more important to us than what other people think, than what our peers think, than what our friends think, than what our family thinks, even what our spiritual leaders think, then that's when our life really begins to take on a real dynamic change. Because the fact is, you know, there's things that we all walk through. There's not a perfect, in, perfect person in this room tonight. I don't, I'm looking out here, I don't see any halos, no wings yet. So, you know, we're all in the same boat, amen? And so God's doing that work in all of us. And the last one, number eight, in John 10, verse 27 and 28, it says, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And tonight I want you to understand and know that you are secure in God's hand tonight. You are secure in God's hand. All right, let's, let's start reading here. We're going to start with verse 3. In response, Jesus gave them this illustration. There was a shepherd with a hundred lambs, but one of his lambs wandered away and was lost. So the shepherd left the 99 lambs out in the open field and searched in the wilderness for that one lost lamb. And he didn't stop until he finally found it. And with exuberant joy, he raised it up and placed it on his shoulders and carrying it back with cheerful delight. Returning home, he called all of his friends and neighbors together and he said, let's have a party. Come, celebrate with me for the return of my lost lamb. It wandered away, but I found it and I brought it home. And Jesus continued in the same way. There will be a glorious celebration in heaven over the rescue of one lost sinner who repents, comes back home, and returns to the fold, more so than for all the righteous people who never strayed away. Wow. Boy, I tell you, that's... Uh, that can be hard for us to accept sometimes. You know, it's, listen, listen, and I'm just going to be real honest with you. It sounds really good when we read it. But when it's somebody in our family, come on, when it's a friend, when it's somebody that we work with, it's hard. It's difficult. We've all probably had people in our lives that we went to church with or we were doing life with and they were in our Christian circles and then they they left. <clears throat> the heart condition of the lost sheep can be seen by the fact that it strayed away. See, because it, 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 it reveals something about the heart of the lamb, the heart of the sheep, because it strayed away. And I think if we were all honest in here, church, we can all think of times that our hearts strayed away from God and became distant. Now, we may not have left church. You know, we may still be coming to church. We may attend the midweek service. We may come to the Sunday service. You know, we didn't leave church. But mentally, 
spiritually and emotionally, we've all strayed. All of us. There's not one of us in here. Even, even your leadership in this church. We're people just like you. We're not any different. Don't ever put us in a position that we are any different. But, you know, I always tell our interns, look, don't, don't put your leadership way up here. That's just a further drop that we have to fall. <clears throat> in this situation, the sheep actually strayed away. So picture a person straying away from church. Because that's the picture that we're being shown here. And we all know people who were on fire for God. They attended church regularly. They were involved. They were serving. And then all of a sudden, they weren't. They stopped coming. Something happened. They got tempted. They strayed. Some situation arose in their life that caused problems. And then they quit coming to church. But it's important to see how the owner reacted and make sure our response is the same as the owner. We see the unceasing labor of the shepherd to find the and return the lost sheep. That was the shepherd's heart, to find and return the lost sheep. And so our job when people leave church is to find, come on, and return the lost sheep. So we shoot them a text. Hey man, I really miss you. Looking for you at church. Why don't you sit with me this Sunday? I can pick you up if you need me to. Love you. Or a phone call, or a DM, or an IM, however you want to reach out to them, or have lunch with them, or whatever. Do whatever you need to do to connect with them. I, you know, I remember, and TC, guys, this will be really interesting to you. So, many, many years ago, um, we, there was a young man in TC, and he was really gifted at singing, playing the piano, so he was this really gifted guy. But he had a real drug problem. It had been a drug problem his whole life. And maybe some of y'all can relate to what I'm talking about because I came from that same background. And um, anyway, he, he came through the program. He graduated and he started coming here to our church. And he got involved in our church and got to be, know people here in our church. And he started making his life right here in our church. But then those old habit patterns, and that's what you got to be careful of, TC guys, those old habit patterns, they begin to tempt him. They begin to pull him away, and he slowly quit coming to church. And I had reached out to him just because by nature, I'm involved with a lot of the young adults here in our church, and I reached out to him and, and, and didn't get a response from him. And so um, I just really felt like that it was my obligation to do everything that I could to get him back in church. So me and about three other guys got together on a Friday night. We knew exactly where he was working. He was working at a bar downtown. He was a bartender. And so probably about 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night, me and three other guys, we went down to the bar, walked upstairs, went right up to his place where he was serving drinks to everybody. And, you know, his eyes got kind of big because he was surprised to see us. And I just began to dialogue with him and just say, hey, man, we miss you. We want you here. You know, come back, you know. This isn't, this isn't what God has for you. God's got so much more and so much better for you. And, you know, that was kind of the end of the conversation. And honestly, guys, I never saw him again until about three weeks ago, I came to y'all's graduation. 
And I was sitting in the audience when some of the young men were graduating from a program, getting ready to leave to go to Cape. And your administrator stood up and he was talking, and he had a young man come up with him, an older young man now. And he was going to be singing at your banquet. And that was that young man that fell away. And now he's come back to Christ, and now he's using his gifts singing for the Lord. Isn't that awesome? And, you know, we hugged and embraced, and it was good to see him, and we had a little bit of a conversation there, and I just told him I was glad to see him living for the Lord again, and he said, man, I'm so glad too, and it was just an awesome thing to see. But, church, you just never know. You never know. You can't give up on people. I'm going to say that again. You can't give up on people. Well, Paul, how many times? How many times? As many as it takes. How many times do you want God to come after you? As many as it takes. I've seen people, church, listen, I've watched people come in and out of this church for years and years and years. I've been here a long time. People have sat on me, thought I was a chair. I've been here for so long. I'm telling you. And I've watched a lot of people come and go, in and out. And then one day, something clicks. And they get hooked up with Jesus permanently. And their lives are never the same. Why does that happen? I don't know. I can't explain it to you. I can't figure it out. But what I do know, we got to have God's heart. Amen? Let's go to the lost coin. Verse 8. Jesus gave them another parable. There was once a woman who had ten valuable silver coins. And when she lost one of them, she swept the entire house, diligently searching every corner of her house for that one lost coin. And when she finally found it, she gathered all of her friends and neighbors for a celebration, telling them, come, celebrate with me. I had lost my precious silver coin, but now I found it. That's the way God responds every time one lost sinner repents and turns to him. He says to all of his angels, Let's have a joyous celebration for that one who was lost, I am found. I mean, just think about it. You TC guys, you know, some of you guys just recently have gotten saved and got your lives turned around. And guys, here's what I want you to know. All the angels in heaven, along with the Father and Jesus, were having a celebration over you. Isn't that awesome? Over you. And here's why. Because you're valuable to God. Once again, your value doesn't change just because you're lost. It stays the same. The coin was lost during use. And I've watched a lot of people fall off the table in the work of the ministry. I've seen a lot of people in church, and they're here, and they get wounded. They get hurt. They get offended. They get upset at other people. And also, I think when churches begin to grow, you know, I look around this auditorium tonight, and I remember so many years ago, we had a much smaller group. I remember when we had about 50 people coming to our church, not hundreds and hundreds of people coming to our church, not all of these seats. There, I knew everybody by, by their first name. That's very hard to do now, especially with my 52-year-old memory. Some of you don't laugh. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> But I, but I think in larger churches, it's easy to feel lost in the crowd. Just lost in the crowd. You know, you're just a person filling a seat, but does anybody really 
know? Does anybody really care? Does anybody even understand my life? But I want you to notice the heart of God. He is the owner of the lost coin, and even though the coin has fallen off the table and has been lost, it remains valuable to him. The value of the coin doesn't change because it's lost. When it's in the owner's hand or when it's lost, it's worth the same amount. The coin never loses its value. And once again, we see the unceasing search of the owner to find this precious coin that belongs to him. It doesn't matter to the owner how many coins he has in his possession. Once again, each of his coins are equally important to him. Every single person in this room tonight is equally as important to God. Pastor isn't more important to God than you. People with different giftings, maybe they sing better than you, or they can preach better than you, or they can serve better than you, or maybe they're better looking than you, or maybe they're taller than you, or they're better built than you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to God. Every single person in this room has equal value to God tonight. It's important that we all understand that each of his coins are important to him, and he won't rest until he finds every single one. It's very, very hard for God to be happy over a bunch of coins on his table that belong to him when one's lost. It's very hard for God to be happy. God's happy when all of his children are with him. I mean, we, you know, we have celebrations. We have Christmas and we have Thanksgiving and we all want our children to be there. And when one's not there, part of our heart is not there. And it's the same way with Father God. He loves us all. He wants us all with him all the time. And that leads us to the prodigal. The prodigal. Or really what I like to call the loving father. The loving father father. I don't really like calling it the prodigal son. I like calling it the loving father. Verse 11, Jesus said, once there was a father who had two sons, the younger son came to his father and said, father, don't you think that it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far off land where he soon wasted all that he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. And with everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry. For there was a severe famine in the land, so he begged the farmer in that country to hire him. And the farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. And the son was so famished, he was willing even to eat the slop that was given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing and he thought, there are many workers in my father's house, and they have all the food that they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? And I want to go back home to my father's house, and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. Now, he's thinking this through, right? He's not saying this. He's processing this. He's thinking this through, and this is what you've got to do when you're lost. You've got to think things through, and sometimes you can't think clearly until you're eating slop. Isn't that right, TC guys? I've been there. Been there. Ate that slop. Devil serves it up really good. But when you're eating that slop, it's amazing, boy, how your mind starts to think a little more clearly. 
You start seeing things a little differently than how you did before you lost everything. And so, the father is there waiting on him. Verse 18, I want to go back home. I'll say, Father, I was wrong. I sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. That's what he's thinking. So the young son left off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar. And great compassion welled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him, swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, kissed him over and over again with tender love. And then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I can never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And the father interrupted him. Before he could get that sentence out of his mouth, he said, Hold up. Hold up. Son, you're home now. We're not talking about what you did. You're home now. Isn't that great? God didn't hold our past over us. Verse 22. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me a robe, my best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring me the ring, the seal of sonship. I'll put it on his finger and bring out the best shoes that you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. He was once lost, but now he is found and everybody celebrated with overflowing joy. Now, the older son was out working in the field when his brother returned. And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called one of the servants over and he asked, what's going on? The servant replied, it's your younger brother. He's returned home. Father's throwing a big party for him. Come, join the feast with us. Mm. And the son said to his father, listen, how many years have I been working for you like a slave? It's not a good hard attitude, by the way. Performing every duty you ask as a faithful son. I've never once disobeyed you. Lie. <laughs> That's a lie. I don't know a son that has not disobeyed their father at one time. But you see that self-righteous attitude? See, that's what happens, church. We distort the truth. See, a religious spirit will distort your thinking. It'll distort your heart. It'll make you, it'll make you um, draw certain conclusions about yourself that are inaccurate because you're not looking in a mirror correctly. Oh, I've never once disobeyed you, but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. No, I've never thrown a party for you, but I've fed you your whole life. I've provided for you your whole life. I've put a house over your head your whole life. I've given you a job your whole life. Come on. Once again, that hard attitude. But look at this son of yours. He's pointing at him while he's up there dancing, acting a fool. He comes back. Wasting all your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living. And here you are throwing a great feast in celebration for him. And the father said, my son, you are always with me by my side. Everything that I have is yours to enjoy. It is only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because 
this brother of yours was once dead and gone, but now he is alive and back again. He was lost, but now he is found. Can I have an amen? In this parable, we see the personal free choice of the son to rebel against his father's will. In other words, he willfully departs. It's what he wants to do. And he knows his actions are wrong. He knows his actions are hurtful to his father. How many of y'all are parents in here tonight had your children do hurtful things to you and they knew, what, they knew that it was hurtful to you that they were doing it, but they did it anyway. And this is exactly what happens because he's selfish and he's sinful and he wants his own way. And that's what our carnal nature is all about. It is selfish, it is sinful, and it wants its own way. But notice that the father doesn't restrain him. See, as you come at a certain age in a young person's life, they say, I'm tired of living here. I want to go do what I want to do. And you say, you know what? Here, I'll help you pack. Let's go. Where can I take you? Now, you don't want to do that. It tears your heart out to do that. But that's sometimes what has to happen. I always told my sons growing up, and I tell the interns this and all of our young adults in our church, you are free to do whatever, whatever you want to do in life. You're free to do it. You live in America. You have a free will. But you're not free to escape the consequences. And it's true. We're free to do whatever we want to do. If you want to go rob a bank tomorrow, you can but you're not free to escape the consequences of that decision. The father gave him his request, off he went. And, you know, I don't want to say that it's necessary sometimes for somebody to go out and be rebellious and do dumb things, but sometimes it's necessary for people to go out sometimes and do dumb things. You know, there's something about a, a prideful heart and a stubborn head, it's really hard. And you try to get stuff to go into it, and it just won't soak. It just won't go in. You know, I remember when I was younger and, and being told stuff by different leaders, and I thought, ah, that doesn't apply to me. That doesn't apply to me. That applies to other people. That doesn't apply to me. That, I understand what you're saying, and I know that for some people that's what they want to do, but that doesn't apply to me because for some reason we all think that we're the exception to the proverbial rule. We think that we're the exception. Oh, I know that happens to other people. I've seen the outcome for other people, but for me... I can treat people this way and that won't happen to me or I can squander and that won't happen to me or I can live in sin and, and there won't be any consequences in my life and that's simply not true. The scripture says God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that also will he reap. If he sows into the flesh, he will reap the flesh. If he sows into the spirit, he will reap the spirit. So the father gave him his request and off he went and he's experienced all the consequences of it and the younger son eventually came to himself Notice it doesn't say how long it took, though. We don't know. It could have been a month. It could have been a week. It could have been years. And once again, I want to encourage, especially our parents in here tonight with young people. You know, the teenage years, they can be confusing for a young person. And they've got a lot of hormones and things that are changing, happening in their brains. You know, my wife's 
dad always says that all teenagers are brain damaged and to a certain degree, not, nothing you know, toward y'all, but it's just, there's not all the connections are made. You know, and I'll give you an example. This is really funny. You know, I've, I have seen teenagers get in the back of a pickup truck and surf going 60 miles per hour down the road. Now, a 52-year-old man would never do that because there's just certain things that have connected up here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's just certain things up here that have connected. There's just a fear that I have. But, I mean, it's like fearless. I remember... A few years back, we had a couple of interns that were in the back of a truck, and they were coming down Brook Hill Ranch Road going about 50 miles per hour, and the driver decided he was going to do a little brake check and a turn, and shoo, there they went. And for those of you listening to the podcast, that was them scraping across the ground and all their hide being ripped off their arms and legs. Seemed like a good idea at the time. Consequences consequences it doesn't say how long he was gone but here's what we do know the father never gave up praying and waiting and praying and waiting and for some of you parents in here tonight maybe you have some young people that have strayed off keep praying keep praying i'm so glad my mom kept praying i'm so glad she never gave up she never gave up it took me 23 years to figure it out but she never gave up now this is the hard part we've got to have the father's heart for those who are willfully living in sin and disobedience now i want you to look at verse 28 with me it says the older son became angry he refused to go in and celebrate so the father came out and pleaded with him, come in and join the feast with us. And the son said, listen, I've, I've worked for you for all these years like a slave, performing everything you wanted me to do. I've been a faithful son. I've never once disobeyed you, but you've thrown this big party for my brother, and he's been out living in sin and doing all these things that he shouldn't be doing. Hmm. That's the hard part for us. Because... We see people leave church, and we see people go out and do wrong, or maybe there's people in our family that, you know, they're not living right, and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, and, and church, once again, we have to make sure that we don't have a spirit like that. We can't have a spirit like that. I think the older brother maybe even was a little envious of his younger brother that he got to go out and do what he got to do. I think sometimes that's why that bothers us so much. You know, we see posts on Instagram, and we see people doing different things out there, and, and, you know, we're just a little bit envious. And so we talk them down. We belittle them. We're really, we're really self-righteous when it comes to other people not living right. But our heart should be our brothers and sisters in Christ restored to their rightful place and not hold their past over them or remind them of it. That should be our heart. That is the heart of the Father. What is under the blood is forgiven. Amen? What is under the blood is forgiven completely. Amen? What is under the blood has been washed away and remembered no more. Isn't that what the Scripture says? That God cast our sins into the sea of forgetfulness and remembers our sins no more. Can I have an amen? How many are in the house tonight that are so glad that your sins, come on, 
Your sins are forgiven no more. Yeah, let's give God a hand clap. That's right. Remember, no more. And while he was on his journey home, he had to search his heart and reconsider his approach to his father. Because he kind of, in verse 17 through 21, he starts thinking about reconciliation, but he kind of puts it on his own terms. He's kind of talking this thing through in his mind, and he puts things on his own terms. He says, you can make me like one of your hired servants. But while he's on his journey home, he had time to search his heart and reconsider his approach to his father. And he simply says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The work of humility had had its way in his life. And the work of humility has to have its way in our life, in our hearts. A humble heart, a humble heart, not just humble recognition of, I mean, he really realized his position. And there was a real humility, a humbleness, and a recognition of his lost state and what he had done. It, that reality hit him. See, you guys that are in T.C., for some of you, that's the only reason you're in T.C. is because you were humbled. See, your heart came to a place, and my prayer for you guys that are in T.C. that are just there because you have to be there, that God will humble your heart too because, listen, man, there's a hard road ahead of you if you don't. And trust me, I can tell you all about it. I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. I'm a poster child for what not to do. But I'm also a poster child for what God can do. What God can do in a life. And I want to encourage you men to live a life of humility before the Lord. Now, it would have been much better that the, the younger son learn his lesson by listening to people. By observing what other people do. By learning. Just through correction. Instead of having to go out and get all the lumps on your head yourself. But that's what happened in his situation. But I want you to notice in verse 22 through 24 that the father saw him a long ways off and it says he came running because God's always on the lookout for lost people. You can hear the father saying, I'll be waiting for you when you return. You know, when we get certain attitudes and and we want to go out here and do our own thing or, you know, and and like I said tonight, most people here aren't going to leave church, but you may quit praying for a while because you're disappointed in God. Or you're angry. Or you're frustrated. And so we just say, you know, God, I'm going to give you a little check for a little while. But here's what I want you to know. God still loves you. He's still your father. And he is right there waiting He put a robe of righteousness on him, a ring of authority on him, shoes of peace on him. And even after all that we've done in willful rebellion, God loves us and God restores us. Can I have an amen? Amen. But it is an important side note, and I want everybody to notice this. He lost all of his inheritance that his father gave him and he did not get it back. Now, he was restored in his relationship with God. But he lost all of his inheritance, and he didn't get it back. And that is why it's so important that when we get this little attitude in us that we want to be rebellious. You know, UTC guys, 
For some of you, it's already happened. I'm going to leave. Nobody's going to talk to me like that. I don't have to put up with this. Or this is too hard. Or I was better off where I came, which you weren't because it wasn't nothing but a bunch of demons and hell and depression and misery. Let me just remind you of that. But when we get that little thing going inside of us, boy, I tell you, so important to keep our hearts where they're supposed to be with God. I want to close tonight with these key points. Number one, God has an incredible love for the lost. He does. Number two, repentance is the key element for our victory, for things to turn around. Repentance. As a matter of fact, I want to encourage our whole church, just live a life of repentance every day, every single day. Don't let your heart get hard. Live a life of repentance. And lastly, number three, we are to imitate God's heart in these parables. James Montgomery Boyce made this statement. We are never so like God as when we rejoice over the salvation of sinners. And we are never so like Satan as when we despise those who are thus converted and think ourselves superior to them. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you tonight. We give you praise. Lord, help us have a heart for the lost. And just as you're here tonight, and those listening on the podcast, as you're driving down the road, or maybe you're listening as you're working out or in your house cleaning, whatever you're doing, I want to encourage you, ask God to give you a heart for the lost. God, forgive us for some of the attitudes that we've taken on, even a self-righteous spirit, and we look down at people who are not living right. Lord, give us your heart the heart of Jesus, a heart for the lost. The gospel is about bringing those who are lost into the kingdom of God. Lord, give us your heart. God, thank you. Go before us this week. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Christian Ministries Church Weekly Podcast. Summer is almost here, and we want you to know about one of our awesome resources for teens. Each summer, CMC hosts a camp called High Point Designed for Teens, ages 15 through 19. High Point is a biblical worldview camp that equips young adults for the challenges that are relevant to their culture. High Point has a variety of inspiring speakers, awesome worship, challenging obstacle courses, and fun activities. For more information or to register online, you can visit our website at hpoint.org. Spots are limited, so we encourage you to register today.